good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there, and welcome to this, the majestic episode number 355 of the Material Podcast. I am Andy Anatko. Uh, Florence Ion, your other co-host, is out this week on assignment. She will be back next week, I assure you. Uh, until then, let's have a cozy solo show. Just you and me, shooting the breeze, etc. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's always weird doing a solo show, uh, because, you know, I, I love talking to flow, you know, and I, I know you, I know you love it. You love it too. Uh, it's different when, uh, uh, I, I write the show doc and a lot of what I do in the show doc is about, Ooh, this is going to be fun to talk about with flow or, Ooh, I, I know that flow is going to have something really cool to say about this. And so, uh, when I do a solo show, as rare as it is, usually it's like, okay, let's, let's treat this as a special. It's not, it's not going to be quite the same as a normal show because this is going to just be me monologuing, uh, for the better part of a half hour to 45 minutes. But so I, I hope you, uh, it's, it's always a loss to not have flow, but hopefully this is going to be a nice little, uh, I, I was going to say, it's kind of like when you're having class outside. Uh, it's like remember when it's when it's May and even the teacher of, of in your school is like she's really looking forward to like <laughs> summer break and so she's and so he or she is willing to approve things that they ordinarily wouldn't do. Um, I think it has kind of that vibe because after <laughs> it's a it's it's a fun thing to do once during the end of the term. But if you were to make this a regular thing, you'd soon realize that, gee, I kind of miss having a chair and not like my butt getting damp because they <laughs> the, the, the lawn was watered just yesterday. This was a lot of fun. This is great. This is great. We had a great time. But let's go back to the old way. And I assure you, we will. Uh, but so we have a few things to, to talk about this week. Now, uh, I want to do uh, one thing that is uh, incredibly self-indulgent and actually quite impulsive. The uh, because this is not again a a twofer. This is just uh, just me. Uh, now, as I was setting up t uh, to record today's show, there is I, I was as usual. I have to like sort of move. Sometimes I have to move some things out of the way. I was using a box as sort of a stand for my MacBook temporarily because I'm still moving around my office. And so I realized that, hey, this is one of the boxes in which I have like just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of my old like three and a half inch floppies, uh, floppy diskettes. I I swear I'm, tr I'm trying to be good about re reducing clutter inside my, my life, not just my office. But there's every time that I've had to move or pack uh, every five every five years, I seem to do this thing where I this this predates Marie Kondo, where I uh, decide that I have to uh, put my hands on every single thing that I own and decide whether or not I should keep it or not. Uh, this <laughs> I started this very same policy a long time ago when I realized that okay, we have one, two, three storage units that we're renting. Perhaps we could save hundreds of dollars a month by not keeping crap. But for some reason. For sentimental reasons, every one of these diskettes uh, from my from my first days of uh, of being a Mac user, I don't know. They're just too they're just too sentimental, and they're almost like going through photos. You know, uh, maybe you have the same sort of thing going on where you have these tactile objects. We're gonna be talking about the the, the value of tactile technology later on in the show, as a matter of fact. But the uh, 
I'm I'm very very happy that I have terabytes and terabytes of cloud storage and that everything gets backed up. But there's something to like these diskettes that have these hand drawn labels on them and the randomness of some of these diskettes are uh, were kind of the hub of my computing experience and they're just way too precious and there's some that are just oh i just needed to dump something onto a disc because i needed to make some room or oh someone said someone had this uh, new uh, shareware app and i they wanted to give me a copy of it hey great 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 so i thought that uh this is totally random so before just before the show i grabbed a stack of these have no idea what's in my hand right now and i'm going to go through them with you uh so starting off this is a generic uh blue disc let's see okay this is (laughs) the original title of the disc is crossed out it the original title is singlin zarexia now that's something i totally forgotten about whenever i would have like a random like documents disc where I, I wasn't organizing them by here are my Microsoft Word files, here are my BB edit files, here are my here are my light speed light speed pa- uh, think C Pascal uh, think Pascal files. I would make up a word that sounds that sounded like it could be an actual word, uh, and so this is definitely what I would do. Now, also very typical is it's crossed out uh, to represent what I eventually replaced it with. Draw docs, magic menus, draw doc. Now, Mac draw was so much my jam i can't tell you how much i loved mac draw as an app uh, mac paint got all the glory got all the press but uh, as soon as i got my first <coughs> paralegal <coughs> extra legal copy of mac draw uh boy for some reason the 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 drawing tools were i i just intuitively understood how to how to use them I'm not just talking about oh let's do a box ooh let's do lines and stuff like that they had a, a curve tool where you would just click, 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 and do like a, uh, like a jagged line. And then it would turn into a feature where it would turn into a curve. For some reason, I just intuitively understood how to use that in a way that when Bezier curves came out with Adobe Illustrator years later, I still have not really picked up on. And so I, somewhere in the archives, I have like a folder of like laser, laser writer printed images. I used to do like posters for, uh, the Boston computer society Mac group, like every month, uh, all, all, all that was needed was a little sign that said, hey, go up these stairs, <laughs> turn left at the, at the top of the stairs. You're looking for room 12. But I would do like something like a poster because I had so much fun with MacDraw. OK, there is disc two, a commercial disc, uh, Fractal Design Poser. This was the uh, one of the very, very first apps that had sort of a digital 3D mannequin that you could pose. Uh, boy, have we made progress since then. Uh, in that now that the last time I took a look at this sort of category, the, the photorealism that's possible is just mind blowing. Uh, and to say nothing of what was now it's been surpassed by synthetic imaging that will just simply, uh, using machine learning to say, describe a, describe a human figure and it will draw it, it will create it for you based on photos. Uh, but I don't, I'm not sure if I really got that working, uh, poser, um, this is a it's commercial disc, so I would have been sent it as a. Oh wait, hang on. There you go. I actually, have disc one. Disc all right. Good, good for you. Like nineteen nineties, Andy. Here is disc one, disc two, and disc three. And the product code, the the excuse me, the registration code is actually written on the top of disc one. So maybe I should actually try to install this on my Mac LC or something. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm 
I, I, I was always a big, big fan of, uh, uh, a big, big fan of these like 3d modeling and 3d art apps. I just never had the sort of time or commitment to really learn how to use them. These are, these were in the nineties, these tools existed, but there was such a steep learning curve. You kind of had to really want to use these things in order to really make them work or make anything useful happen out of them. And I guess just never I, I had curiosity, but not the commitment. So I, as a result, I have lots of like f- starter projects, <laughs> lots of my name in Chrome 3d text, but I don't actually have my model of like an A-wing fighter uh, from the rebel alliance that i was always uh, always uh, optimizing for now let's see uh okay a couple of duds here uh a couple of them happen to be uh 230 megabyte uh mo cartridges uh one labeled manuscripts and also with uh, in very very nice text uh yeah this is another thing that when there, there, a man is never so busy as when he has something else he needs to do instead. Uh, and so a lot of my, I, I a, a lot of the, a lot of the time that should have been spent writing on deadlines uh, then. And as now is done doing absolutely way too f- ambitious, like hand lettered fonts on, uh, uh, on cartridge and, and floppy labels. One is called manuscripts. One is called graphics. Uh, and both are labeled back to, to disc four slash O two, which meant that these had been, uh, I had a, uh, a magneto optical drive that I was using for most of my backups, uh, had a capacity, as I said, about 230 megabytes. Uh, and when I got my first, uh, CD burner, because that had like two or three times the capacity, I was doing my backups onto that. So you see, you, you, you freshen your backups from one, uh, from one, uh, medium to the other um i really liked magneto optical uh if you're looking at this if you're uh, maybe i'll take a picture so that uh, flo can put it in the show notes but um so not only we see these handy dandy uh, hand lettered fonts that i that I put up there but also uh they're a cool technology it looks ex- it's exactly the same size as a three and a half inch floppy which is why it was in that same box uh only maybe imagine two of them stacked one on top of the other has the same sort of sliding shutter um, obviously a different technology magneto optical uh, uses a principle of physics where if you heat up a, a, a material that is not magnetic uh, can be made magnetic when it's heated up to its curie point and so what what these drives would do is that i think it was actually i think it was actually a laser it would heat up the surface of this disc to its point where it can be you can impose a magnetic signal on it right to it and then when it's out of the when it's not being uh, when it's not being uh, uh, written to, it's inert, it's static, uh, and it's stable. Uh, don't know. I probably still have the drive for this somewhere, which is good news. I probably it's probably SCSI, which would make it complicated to get it working again. That uh, I might might have lost the purge. Um, yeah, actually, that was more interesting than I thought. And the last one, though, really is a, unfortunately it is a uh, off white disc with a label torn off of it i kind of let's see see the label goes all the way across the edge and over to the other side if you remember what these things were like it would have uh uh the 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 large like two by two inch by three inch part of it that had like all the cool art on it uh it would wrap around to the spine so if you if they were in a stack you could read it on the spine and then a little like little flappy part uh that stuck to the other side of it uh and so there apparently was a label apparently a very good label that wrapped around to the all the way it's i'm guessing that 
Yeah, it's uh, just says double sided OMO113S. It reminds me of something a piece of commercial software might have been put on. So it might have been like a piece of software that I was sent for review, didn't like it, but at one point in like 1997, <laughs> 1998, uh, no, probably 2000, that uh, I decided that, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, team of professional coders who spent uh, a good chunk of their lives putting their hearts and souls into this amazing piece of software. I value the <laughs> 720 <laughs> K of storage that this disk represents more than the code that you poured your life into. So that's a little peek into my life. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, before we get into uh, what's going what's to be going on for this show, though, uh, we have a an update. Uh, as promised, last week we were talking about uh, about uh, uh, about uh, Google's uh, self driving taxi service moving into uh, moving into new markets. Uh, I think it was a. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, their their drone delivery project uh, moving into like uh, new markets in Texas, and uh, mentioned that in researching it, I found out that oh, this is not the first time. I thought it was going to be the first time uh, that uh, that their delivery service was operating in the United States. Actually, they had been doing a pilots uh, pilot program, so to speak, in Christianburg, Virginia. And spontaneously, while we were recording the show, I decided, gee, I wonder what's going on in Christianburg, Virginia, and turned up that there was the site of a duel uh, in 1808, Christianburg, Virginia, uh, which was, okay, I suppose people dueled a lot back then. uh, And, oh, okay, apparently after this duel, uh, the first, like, laws against dueling uh, were passed in Virginia. Interesting. But the thing that really caught my eye was that it was done with rifles. With rifles. That's intense, man. To duel with rifles, and so I, I, if you if you listen to last week's show, you know that so I, I was kind of getting caught up in it, and realized I had to sort of terminate this live, like googling for more information. Also, oddly enough, although as amazing as the story had to have been, I was amazed that it wasn't you. Get, you don't get the whole story like in the first like ten Google search results. So I did spend some time afterward, uh, both doing like the deeper Google search, and also uh, I have a subscription to newspapers.com uh, for exactly this reason you, it's amazing the amount of stuff that is obviously not searchable by google that uh, you, you the you hope that anything you want to find out it's actually been indexed somewhere uh, by google's web crawlers but of course a lot of that stuff is too valuable to just put out on a website and so newspapers.com they keep license they license every single newspaper they can get their hands on and so it's amazing the stuff you can find out just with this. It's one of the most valuable subscriptions that I have, both for actual research and just when I'm just trying to figure out what was, hey, what was what was the deal with this thing that was happening in 1973, or even sometimes if I want to find out, hey, what was the what were uh, what did uh, what did people think about magneto optical drives back in like 1999, and I could pick up reviews from that. So uh, I, I managed to put together like the, the larger story. Unfortunately, I was every time there's a story about a duel, I'm hoping that it's about, you know, two gentlemen and they're like uh, women folk in the big hoop skirts, like back in their like mansions, clutching their handkerchiefs to their bosoms, worried if their men will, you know, know, oh, 
gosh, Daltrieve, he, ha- he had to do what he had to do because he is a man of honor and he felt besmirched. But I do wish that he would come back. As this wasn't as it, it was more dudes being dudes, and that's never a good thing. Uh, so here's this uh, at the uh, it was uh, uh, now I don't say the, the one of the one of the more, more interesting things I turned up was that uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, future president, then Senator Kennedy, actually mentioned this duel uh, at a speech he gave uh, in Boston. Uh, the 150th anniversary of the establishment of the Boston Archdiocese, May, May 14th, 1958. As a, he, he went, he, you can tell when a politician or anybody's kind of, I have no idea what I want to say, but I've been given like 20 minutes, so I got to fill it. Uh, so it was a lot of, well, I, well, I, uh, <laughs> other things that happened 150 years ago uh, on this day, on around this date. And he mentioned uh, the this duel of, Fortunately, and, and this duel, uh, because it was a political argument, said, fortunately, today we have less drastic measures of expressing our political taste. Uh, so here's here's the story about it. Uh, now, uh, between the duel between Thomas Lewis and John McHenry, here's the tale of the tape. Lewis was a 22-year-old lawyer uh, and a grandson of a Revolutionary War general. Uh, McHenry was 45 years old, ran a store, a mercantile. Now, the beef arose when McHenry defeated a man by the name of Joseph King, uh, for a seat in the Virginia House of Delegates. Mc- uh, King was a tavern owner and a town trustee. And apparently King or one of his allies <laughs> insulted McHenry by calling him a, quote, Glanville coward, unquote. Now, there's a lot to unwrap there. Unfortunately, I was not able to unwrap it. Um, coward is probably bad enough. I don't know how Glanville is used as an intensifier. Uh, if you are from Glanville and you are particularly offended by that, I'm not. I'm just quoting an, a newspaper article from 1808. I'm sorry, I've never been to Glanville. I don't know what Glan. It's probably prejudicial. It's probably uh, mean spirited, and I apologize for that. Now, uh, one article mentioned that uh, a I don't know if it was a rumor. Or there, there was some sort of scuttlebutt at the time that the whole thing was actually also urged on by a third man by the name of Thomas Boyer, uh, in that quote, it uh, he might just uh, uh, hoping that McHenry would actually get shot and killed because uh, if McHenry was killed, uh, Boyer would find it easier to obtain a, a parcel of land that he coveted. Again, wish I could find out more about that, but that now now we're looking at like really good sort of like Netflix historical folderol uh, drama about this. We 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 can work with this. Uh, so uh, McHenry challenged uh, challenged King to a duel. Uh, King refused on the basis that number one he has sense, uh, and also that he had a wife and kids to support, and he was certainly not going to jeopardize their future because of someone who couldn't take a, take an insult, uh, which is a very, very big deal. The more time you spend reading about like life in the 1800s, the more you realize how important it was that wives and children be cared for because the tales of uh, a husband dying an untimely death. And two years later, the, the children are essentially in a prison an orphanage, but essentially a prison. The wife is just on the streets with absolutely no means of support. I was very, very. I was. I was surprised to 
at my reaction when I found out that most of Jack the Ripper's victims, when they say, oh, they're they're prostitutes, this like whatever whatever image you might have of Victorian prostitutes, most of them are women who lost all means of support, and this was the only thing they could do to make money because of how horrible. Uh, how much more horrible uh, society was to women back then as opposed to now. Imagine how bad it would have been in 1808. So, yes, King, lots of common sense. Uh, now, how did Lewis get involved in this? Well, Lewis was married to King's half-sister, and because he does not have sense, he accepted on behalf of King. Don't know how King felt about that. Uh, seemed weird because apparently the two, quote, had been fast friends, unquote, before this argument. So, who knows? Now, on the subject of rifles. Now, Lewis, of course, <laughs> had enough sense to suggest pistols. Now, McHenry was the one who wanted to switch to rifles. And, quote, both men were accustomed to the use of the weapons selected, unquote. So maybe McHenry thought he was a better shot with a rifle than with a pistol. Maybe he thought that, well, gee, I have one of these. <laughs> Lewis has a muzzle loader. I, my rifle is one of those fancy kinds where you put in a cartridge and maybe I'll get, get an advantage that way. So on the day of the duel, Lewis McHenry and their seconds, uh, James Charlton and Thomas Boyer, again, the aforementioned Boyer, uh, gathered along with the physician and future Virginia congressman and governor, Dr. John Floyd, at the dueling ground. Uh, Each duelist is said to have worn a new double-breasted coat adorned with blue ribbons, and they followed the dueling code. Uh, Mr. Lewis's rifle misfired during examination and had to be reloaded. Uh, and I'm and here's a here's a uh, from one of these uh, contemporary reports. McHenry said to his second upon taking his position, do you see that button on Lewis's coat? I mean to strike him there. He was true to his word. So I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the 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 full account, according to the Adams Sentinel, of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, June 22nd, 1808. Fatal duel, an altercation arising from political discussion, says a Baltimore paper paper of May 30th, between Mr. Thomas Lewis and Mr. John Henry at Fincastle, Virginia. The former challenged the latter to fight with pistols. Mr. McHenry declined that instrument, and they concluded to use, capital letters, RIFLES. They met, and both fell. Lewis was shot through the heart. McHenry, a little below. He's died the day following. They fought, italicized, and with rifles at 15 paces. That's so that, that answered a question. It's not like so apparently, obviously, it was not typical for people to duel with rifles, I, which is gratifying in a sense that at least people <laughs> that at least people at the time realized that, dude, this is messed up. <laughs> uh, the uh the Calid- uh, apparently this this part of the of the uh of the narrative the fact they were dueling with rifles uh made this into sort of a wacky news of the day there are like lots and lots and lots of reprints of this account for like a month all actually all over the world uh the Caledonian Mercury which is a newspaper in Edinburgh Scotland uh had a little bit more to describe them as quote both very genteel young men bred to the law unquote but dumb as posts um now the now the postscript to this is that uh apparently Thomas Lewis had uh, a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of people who were very 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 much uh, the 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 elected representative to uh the, to the Virginia Congress uh was very much beloved they had a apparently the his friends had a meeting uh that 
uh, passed a few agreed upon some resolutions i'm quoting from here resolved further that the ground upon which the duel was fought to be purchased and a monument in capital letters of our mountain stone be built on the spot where our deceased friend fell and that his name and age the day and the year be engraved upon it and that stones be placed at the stand of each with the initials of their names to be cut upon them big talk they never followed through with that they probably realized they probably got the three competing quotes on from the stonework didn't like any of them and said you know what he's dead we planted him he's not going to know the difference let's go ahead so yeah it uh anyway you slice it dueling is stupid i uh, when uh dueling went back to the forefront of the national conversation when hamilton became a hit I was I I, I kind of wondered like what I would <laughs> what I would do in that situation. I certainly wouldn't duel. Um, I do there. Uh, uh, junior high was intense enough for me that it's had lasting effects on like my it, it had it made a lasting imprint on upon, upon my knowledge of how to deal with total jerks. So I would probably not have simply like waved it off and like. <laughs> turned the other cheek i probably would have said i probably would have upped the ante and said that apparently let's let's say uh, uh, josiah challenged me to a duel on the with pistols i said okay dude you know i'm not gonna uh, number one i'm not gonna risk my life and the future of my children and my wife on this some stupid like intangible thing like ooh, 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 you were offended by something i said also you know what i don't want to take your life based on something as stupid as this and, and, and make your wife a widow and make your kids orphans. But look, if you are that hyped up on this, if you are that like dutified over your honor, tell you what, there's a public park at 8 AM on this day. Let's strip to the waist and just punch, just punch at each other for until we both get tired out. And we decide that maybe we're both idiots for taking it to a physical level. At least we will just have broken noses, purple nurples whatever uh and that and that'll be it because i i just don't understand how anyway so so that's the story um hopefully we will find another google related reason to talk about stupid blood oaths of the early uh, early 19th century uh your (laughs) our inbox awaits uh, but we have actual more uh, specific google related stories to talk about today uh today uh uh, first, we're going uh, we're gonna to be musing on the subject that everything seems broken and we seem to be beset on all sides by fear and avarice, a.k.a. we've got a whole section on nasty Android and Chrome security issues. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at Google's imagination of the future. Uh, one component of that is that colorful art pieces dotting your living room will be ambient computers in disguise and also that people will be switching from phone iPhone to Android. And last, we will wrap things up this solo piece about uh, music on Android, because there's a Android police had an interesting article that kind of got my mind going. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that. But first, we'll be taking a break. This episode of material is brought to you by Pocket Casts. How good is the app you're currently using to listen to this podcast? Does it mix your music and podcasts into one confusing experience? Does it have all the features you need? Is it thoughtfully designed by people that listen to podcasts each and every day? Well, why not try something new? 
Pocket Cast is built by podcast listeners for podcast listeners. No matter how you listen to your podcasts, Pocket Casts has you covered. Pocket Cast seamlessly syncs your listening progress across iOS, Android, web, and it supports Amazon Alexa and Sonos smart speakers. With CarPlay, Android Auto, and even Android Automotive support, you can listen in your car too. You can enjoy the vibrant, constantly updated discovery section too, so you can find your next podcast with ease. Pocket Cast's Apple Watch support, including offline playback for when you're jogging without your phone, plus AirPlay and Chromecast support too. It's also fun to check out your listening history and stats, and this is a clever feature. It automatically rewinds podcasts a tiny bit if it's been a while since you listened, so you can catch up easily. Now, I have mentioned before that I am a Pocket Cast user, but recently I have brought an Apple into my Android life, and I found that having Pocket Casts work across two different platforms is very nice for my podcast listening habit. Now, if I want to, I can listen to a podcast on my Android phone with my Galaxy Buds and then hop over to the iPhone with the AirPods and continue where I left off on Pocket Casts. Pocket Casts is completely free to use, but as a listener of the show, you get some exclusive benefits. Go to pocketcast.com material to download Pocket Casts and redeem a six-month free trial of all the premium features in Pocket Cast Plus. And if you are already a Pocket Cast user, but you haven't tried Pocket Cast Plus yet, you too can redeem this offer. Go to pocketcast.com material to find out more. Our many thanks to Pocket Casts for their support of the Material Podcast and Relay FM. Well, it won't surprise you to know that there are mean spirited people out there who want to damage, who see something that's pretty and beautiful and could be the healing force that unites us all as people and elevates us to the, our next understanding of our relationship of, our, of ourselves and our relationship to the universe and says, Nah, let's write malware. Let's write malicious code that turns these phones into dangerous objects that we don't dare even touch. Uh, and uh, this week was absolutely no exception. Uh, really, really bad news. Uh, a few days ago, Google has pulled dozens of Android apps involving hundreds of thousands of downloads uh, that uh, were that contained an API that privacy and security research described as quote without a doubt can be described as malware unquote. Uh, now we're not talking about we're not actually talking about uh, uh, what you normally think about when you talk about malware. Where oh, this is a uh, here is a tick, here is a Sudoku knockoff app that is actually stealing your stealing your your banking credentials and, uh, or installing a Trojan uh, that will weaken the security device. We will t- be talking about that in a moment. Uh, this is this this is kind of kind of more sickening. What happened was there is this company that uh, created an API that uh, that uh, third party developers independent developers could and in, could include inside whatever app they wanted and they would get a bounty based on how many installs that API got this is quote completely legal quote completely above board uh, so essentially these people were just uh, these developers were not knowingly or intentionally creating malicious software they were just including this API that allows them to make lots and lots of more money in an app market where people expect everything to be free 
Well, uh, they, unfortunately, uh, these apps, these, this API was found to be from a uh, from an organization that was uh, covertly harvesting data and transmitting it to a company with ties to United States intelligence, to uh, national, the United States national security. Now, this and it was pretty damn pernicious. Where we have a we we our our, our pain centers have been cauterized. Uh, in modern life by thinking, well, of course, every any time that we've got anything that has an LED or a five volt current through it, it is harvesting collection about uh, data about us and sending it for uh, to uh, ad marketers. But this was way beyond the pale. So uh, uh, two researchers, Serge Egelman from, the United, from UC Berkeley and Joel Reardon of the University of Calgary, uh, actually uh, dropped this no- dropped this news they disclosed their findings to google the federal authorities and the wall street journal and lots of this reporting is coming from the wall street journal so they've been studying this api had been provided to developers by a panamanian company that as was later found uh, that, that, that was known as measurement systems um, and again it's one of many apis that android developers include in their apps as part of, of a bounty bounty program uh, getting a kickback based on number of installs uh, now according to the wall street journal apps containing the API have been downloaded millions of times and cover a wide spectrum of mediocre categories, including apps that detect speed traps, uh, QR code scanners, and disturbingly, uh, apps that were that are going to be appealed to Muslim communities, uh, such as uh, apps about the Quran. Uh, and given the connection to domestic intelligence in the United States, that's pretty chilling. Uh, now, the connection to United States spy organizations is appropriately cloak and dagger. I'm quoting uh, the Wall Street Journal here. The measurement systems domain was registered by a company called Volstrom Holdings Incorporated, which deals with the federal government through a subsidiary called Packet Forensics LLC. A company called Measurement Systems SDRL also listed two holding companies as officers, both of which share a Sterling, Virginia address with people affiliated with Volstrom. Hey, it comes back to Virginia. So I guess that that talking about that dual head was actually very, very relevant. I'm gonna have to add Virginia to my my search queues for for news. Anyway, uh, so the the, the researchers' uh, description of this as to the Wall Street Journal as without a doubt can be described as malware is not hyperbole. It's definitely apt. Uh, they've posted a blog post about this API, and it's this is not simply oh look, it's it's tracking your location, it's transmitting it somewhere. It's no, it's. Uh, it's, uh, it can tie together device location, your phone number and the username to again, unwind what device belongs to who it can see the contents of a clipboard. So if you, uh, were cutting and pasting banking information, credit card numbers, anything like that, it's going to see that it was even grabbing the hashes of encrypted WhatsApp messages. And that doesn't mean that it could have, it could have read those messages, but if it grabs the hash, it could have said, it could have sensed if, uh, two messages were the same. So if we're trying to figure out, hey, this message was sent from I don't know who to I don't know who, uh, and in an intelligence intelligence operation, you could figure out that, oh, well, this person said, I don't know what the message uh, said, but this a message with this hash was originated from this phone and was received by this phone. And that's pretty damn chilling. Uh, surprising nobody, the code stopped sending data when the Wall Street Journal broke the story last week. Uh, then it's chilling because again, not just the uh, kind of uh, the connection to United States uh, national security intelligence agencies, but also the fact that this is probably not something that uh, the Google Play Store's vetting process could have weeded out. I'm not sure because this was this wasn't necessarily 
I don't know how to put it. It's definitely malicious, but it wasn't. I, I don't. I don't know if it would have fallen within the Play Store's definition of malicious. I don't know if it's something that they would have been scanning for. Uh, but oh my god, it's just just that's pretty damn horrifying. And it's another reason why, boy, if if an app has fewer than uh, has fewer than like you know a thousand comments on it, if an app has not been around for very long, if an app does not have hundreds of thousands of downloads on it especially as an Android user, I really start to suspect it because I don't want to find out later on that I've got this app on my phone that was doing things that I don't approve of. Uh, Speaking of which, there's a going from gray area malware to actual malware, really, really scary new piece of malware out there uh, called Octo. Uh, The uh, Threat Fabric uh, blog reported on this just a, a few days ago. This is a new banking Trojan horse. This is an actual like uh, Trojan, the actual, like you'd, you'd have to click on a link uh, or click on a text message link in order to get this. Uh, it's a existing banking Trojan with a brand new evolution, but a super, super creepy. And I think unprecedented as being spotted in the wild. This is uh, a case of on device fraud. This isn't a case of it's glomming your credentials. And then at some date in the future, someone grabs those credentials and uses them to uh, make purchases based on your uh, Amazon account, buys gift cards, something like that. No, this was kind of like a remote access app where it can observe your screen and also take over your keyboard. So what that means is that uh, it could not o- it's not only observe you using your banking app, it could then, uh, the, uh, the, the person who is controlling this app, uh, the malicious person, could then get back into your phone put up a launch the launch this app that has like a, a black screen. So hopefully you don't notice your screen is lit up and they're seeing they're basically operating your phone. So all of the authentication that is, uh, that would be necessary to access your uh, access, your bank accounts or credit card numbers or your Amazon account has already been basically that, that token is already on the phone. They are operating it through your phone. And how do you beat that? That's just pretty horrifying. And I'll, and uh, it, it and obviously if there's even if there's like a two factor authentic- authentication it will go completely around that because of course it will receive he will see the, this person will s- click on say yes of course uh, uh, of course uh, northlander bank please uh, do send me a uh, send me a text me a code to make sure that you can verify that it's me uh, and then of course they will see that text message come in because they have control of your phone they can see the screen um now you might think that well okay well gosh this sucks to be an Android user, sucks to be, uh, sucks to uh, have to deal with all that sort of stuff. Well, there's another yet another Chrome emergency update got pushed through just last night. This is the f- uh, emergency update. This is the f- uh, fourth update in the past three weeks. Uh, the third zero-day exploit that's been discovered of this year. Uh, it was another uh, JavaScript-based uh vulnerability that was that google's uh, security team spotted in the wild so again it's a zero day meaning it's already out there it's not as though this is a, a researcher who discovered that hypothetically this could be done uh and again the the, the frequency and the, the velocity of these this year is i uh, see that the, there are a lot of times where you have to remain humble uh, you have to you have to remember just like there are people who think that oh I can never be scammed yes you can because there are scams that prey upon people who think they can't be scammed 
And so I, I remember the days as a, as a Mac user when I was a little bit smug about, oh gosh, well, I would never use a Windows machine because look at all the security vulnerabilities there. There's no such thing as a Trojan or a, a malware on the Mac that, well, no, it's, it's eminently possible. It just hasn't happened to the Mac community yet. And of course, eventually it happened to the Mac community. And uh, it's, this isn't this, what I'm talking about right now isn't quite the same thing, but there are times where I think that Oh, well, goodness, that's, you know, that's one of, the, one of the reasons why I think that my Chromebook is so valuable because I don't have to deal with all that stuff like on the Mac, on the PC, even on Android, but malicious software. Well, the thing is Chrome is an app, it is an app running environment. And so it really is almost like its own PC with its own operating system, with its own vulnerabilities. And uh, it, it just, it's sometimes it's, uh, I don't know, discouraging how alert we have to be at all times to attacks from all possible vectors. You would like to, you would like life to be a little bit easier than that. But uh, I, I don't know what's going on with Chrome though. Uh, it is as the browser with, I keep forgetting whether it's in the 60%, 60s percent or the 80s percent. Uh, but as the, by all definitions, the most dominant uh, uh, browser on the planet, just like windows is the most attractive vector uh, for uh, for attacks, and so there obviously there's some new tricks that are being spun around in the dark web, and they're creating <laughs> a Pandora's box of new malware. So suffice to say that as I uh, as I speak right now, I see the green update pill button on the upper right corner of the Chrome uh, of my Chrome window here that I've got the show doc in, and whereas before. I might think that, oh, well, gosh, I've got so many tabs of Windows open. I'll, I'll get to it eventually. Now it's like I have to I have to go into the mindset of if I see a button that says update, it's not because they're going to add a new feature that <laughs> that makes it easier for me to play play JavaScript games on on Chrome. It's because there's they, they discovered something awful and that I'm in danger unless I click this button. Don't live in fear, but live in awareness. Ugh. Well, we'll have some happier news after this break. This episode of Material is brought to you by CrowdStrike. Here is an unsettling fact for you. 70% of cyber attacks are targeted at small to mid-sized businesses. You might be wondering how serious a cyber attack even is. Well, about half of businesses will become unprofitable within a month of being breached. Cyber criminals know smaller businesses may not have the resources to defend themselves from ransomware and malware. This makes smaller companies an easy target, and the ransoms collected can add up quickly. If you want to better protect your business, CrowdStrike has a solution for you. Falcon Pro by CrowdStrike is the cybersecurity solution your small business needs. It provides superior prevention from cyber attacks, detects malicious activity, and offers immediate response capabilities for your business. And it's all fully deployed in just minutes to protect your organization. Falcon Pro provides features like antivirus protection, firewall management, device control, and integrated threat intelligence all-in-one cloud-based solution. With Falcon Pro, your systems are protected against all cyber threats, not just malware, even when devices aren't connected to the internet. And you can say goodbye to sluggish antivirus scans and inconvenient reboots that delay your team's productivity. Rated 4.9 out of 5 by Gartner Peer Insights, CrowdStrike is the cybersecurity your team needs. Head to CrowdStrike.com material to start a free 15-day trial. That's CrowdStrike.com slash material for a free 15-day trial of CrowdStrike Falcon Pro. Our thanks to CrowdStrike for their support of this show. 
And now, after having spent 10 to 15 minutes saying that everything is awful, there's nothing to look forward to, there's nothing but death, gloom, and despair in the horizon and beyond the curvature of the Earth, actually, let's talk about a couple of things that might be actually worth looking to. I'm looking forward to. Uh, now, first, this is interesting. Google finally uh, apparently is working on a s- switch to Android or swap to Android app uh, for iOS devices for the iPhone. Uh, Apple released their own like switch to iPhone app and put it on the Play Store about five or six years ago, which is absolutely natural because uh, they were getting a, they're they're getting a lot of people switching from Android to iPhone. And uh, if you're if that if that uh, hits at your sense of pride. It's not so. It's not so much people rejecting Android. It's the people who were choosing Android just as a default, meaning they they walked into the AT and T store with X dollars in their pocket, or hey, here's a free phone. If you sign up for this plan, great, and it's going to be an Android phone. I don't care. Great, that's going to be fine. And uh, obviously, to make that transition to iPhone easier, they released an app that does a whole bunch of stuff that makes it easy to take your existing Android phone and turn it into an identical functioning and operating iPhone. And I don't know why Google has waited this long to do a version of that to help people who are switching from iPhone to Android. Maybe it's part of the Pixel revolution, seeing that uh, it's now one of the top three phones. Actually, I think it's now one of the top two phones uh, uh, in the marketplace uh, right now. And so, uh, excuse me, in the, in the Android <laughs> the Android market space. And so uh, now we don't know this for sure. They haven't announced this Uh it's uh, it's uh, it appeared as an unlisted app, so it's there on the it's there in the Apple uh, in the Apple uh, iPhone App Store. If you have the URL for it, you can download it. It will it, the 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 app page will turn up, and you can download it and install it. And it was just simply discovered, I think, by Nine to Five Mac. Um, it appears to be not quite working yet, which fills my mind with all kinds of questions because Apple's App Store approval rules are really strict. You can't have like a half finished app and they'll and have them approve it for the app store. It has to be fully functional. Can't be a demo. Can't be like something you're working on. Everything has to be has to actually do something. Um, so I'm wondering why they did that instead of uh, they also have a uh, Apple also has a test flight program where a way that you can distribute beta versions of apps, limited beta apps through the app store as a mechanism. So I'm wondering why this even exists yet. Um, so. I think one of the explanations is that it appears everything that has to happen on the iPhone appears to be functional. What do, the people who have downloaded it, uh, and uh, including our own Florence Ion, and uh, tried to actually use it to for its for its intended purpose, the failure is on the half of the Android device. So maybe it's that it's a functioning iPhone app. It's just not a functioning Android solution. Um, now the other work uh, it seems to work pretty easily. The uh, app works after scanning a, a QR code on the Android phone, uh, which uh, will uh, connect the iPhone to a uh, a uh, Wi-Fi hotspot on the Android to uh, to make that connection. It will sync up your calendars, contacts, photos, and videos that are on the device. It will concierge the switch from iMessage to Google Messages and the transfer of uh, your cloud photos from iCloud to 
uh, to uh, Google Photos, meaning that it will sort of walk you through the process. It won't it obviously it can't do all that stuff itself, but it will at least let you know how to do that. The switch from iMessage to Google Messages or to SMS is an important thing because that's uh, been one of the big uh, big hitches for people switching from iPhone to Android. They find out that they're no longer they were not even terribly aware that they weren't just simply getting text messages through iMessage. It was a proprietary iPhone to iPhone format, and so that was necessary. Um, but I, I don't know if it goes far enough. Um, like the Apple utility also does a lot of other creature comforts. For instance, it will scan your Android phone. And if it sees like the Android version of Evernote, it will download and install the iOS version of, and of Evernote on your iPhone. Uh, and, uh, it's just, that's just one of many things to make this as frictionless as possible for someone who's switching. Um, and an iPhone user will also have very special problems that that uh, are not present when you're going in the other direction. There's so many proprietary Apple apps, not just iMessage, but like Apple Notes. How do you get uh, how do you get uh, your notes from uh, from? Gee, I don't know where, where you'd put it. Uh, trans grab them from uh, grab them from Apple Notes and put them into Google Keep, or maybe you could specify Evernote or something like that. Uh, that's a tough one, but you'd have to you really have to manage that. Uh, your iCloud documents. It doesn't appear that. Uh, based on the screenshots and the videos, uh, screen captures that I've seen, it doesn't appear that it does anything to uh, sync your, your iCloud documents. That could also be a little bit complicated because iCloud is a lot more tightly integrated with the Macintosh operating system filing system than Dropbox or, uh, or uh, Google Docs uh, or uh, Google Drive are. But it's, it seems like a first step uh, and uh, okay, maybe it's something we'll, we will hear about more on uh, uh, more as uh, as uh, Android 13 uh, continues to slouch out of its cradle and uh, take its first unsteady steps. Maybe we'll find out more about this on Google I.O. But at least it's good that Google is acknowledging that there's a possibility of someone switching from an iPhone to an Android device. Now, this other item that just popped yesterday. Now, this is super interesting. Now, Google often has experiments We've talked about them before, sometimes from their Area 120 uh, uh, crib, uh, Area 120 uh, uh, Skunk Works uh, operation, where it's not necessarily a Google product. It's not even necessarily a supported app. It's an idea that researchers inside Google thought was interesting enough to share, sometimes in the form of a functioning thing, sometimes in the form of a demo uh, this is the form of a demo because it really is kind of far reaching. Now, this is uh, Little Signals is uh, was developed by part of the Digital Wild Wellbeing team. Um, it is a way of well, I'll, I'll let them put explain it. Quote: uh, Objects that keep us in the loop, but softly moving from the background to the foreground as needed. How we might stay up to date with digital information while maintaining moments of calm. So, what these are are uh, six sample objects, physical objects that they look like kind of pretty, you know, Google designed like things you have on a shelf or on a, on a desktop uh, that actually look, they don't look like pieces of technology. They look like just maybe little art objects, the size of a grapefruit or an orange that are keeping you connected to things that are happening in the cloud and on your devices via very, very analog ways. Not, not a speaker that says, excuse me, your, your Uber ride will, is, will be arriving in five minutes. But imagine instead of doing that, uh, instead of doing that, there was just simply a little tap on a window pane. 
you know, or uh, to let you to, to let you know that a process is completed, a sculpture that has like five or seven like uh, green cylinders, the shape of the wave that those cylinders form rising up and down has changed a little bit. Uh, little tiny, tiny little things like that, where it's the, 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 this, the, the idea I think is that we already have things that are designed to basically say, Hey, 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 I'm your computer. I need to tell you this thing right now, right now. And that's the things that stop what you're doing. Stop what you're thinking about. I want all your attention and your focus right now, right here. So what, what if, what, what if there were, uh, times and instances in which, uh, an electronic device or digital service needed to inform us or keep us in the loop, but not in a way that tears us out of whatever we're doing right now. It just simply, if it'll be an ambient thing inside the room that we will simply notice. And uh, again, these are experiments. So it's not as though these, this is a comprehensive attack on this concept, but they come up with six different physical devices, different, uh, different objects, uh, that are demonstrated in a video. These are not commercial products. Uh, if you go to the website, littlesignals.withgoogle.com, you can download uh, an actual uh, a zip file that has uh, 3D files you can put through a 3D printer, uh, uh, Arduino uh, code that will run and actually make all these things work. So obviously there's a lot of sweat equity on your part. So it's not as though they're just, they, they just did like a, a, a CGI demo of this. Uh, but th- see if any of these float your boat. Uh, one of them is called air and this is just a little sort of again tiny tiny object about the size of, of, of an orange that just simply blows a puff of air so that you could put it for instance underneath a house plant and you might notice that gee the, the leaves are kind of like moving a little bit maybe and that's a, that's an indication that I should check my phone for for something that's going on uh, it can blow wiggle or spin um, something I really like it's called button. And that sounds obvious where, okay, you have an actual tactile button, but it, this one looks like a pop-up air freshener and uh, in that it has two halves and uh, it can uh, interact with push, twist, grow, and chime. So you can actually tap on it. It's, again, a big, big surface. It's not, it's not like a tiny little push button. You would basically tap on it with the palm of your hand. Um, you can also spin like the top of it as a, maybe even a, as a volume knob, uh, but it also has an actuator so that the top of the button that you're, that you're twisting and pushing, it can actually like lift up from the base and revealing like a, a red stripe, either a little bit or a large bit to give you some idea of like <laughs> the intensity of the thing it wants to let you know about. Like, again, let's say you set a timer and you don't necessarily want to have an alert when the timer is up, but it'll let you know that uh, it'll, it'll let you know when the, uh, how far that your, your sous vide cook is about halfway through. Uh, also a tiny little chime that will give sort of a, uh, when it's full, when the process, when it's trying to display, Hey, whatever you're monitoring is 100% now, uh, not, not a beep, but maybe a little, you know, a little, a little like yoga chime. Bing. Movement is interesting. This is seven pegs. So imagine like your Wi-Fi or a, a phone signal bar, uh, but seven of these bars that can be elevated either 100% and they're all like even 0% and they're sort of flush with the base of the, this little, uh, this little strip, or they can actually be like undulating, moving, uh, doing things like that. I, I like the, it's the height and the motion of the pegs that uh, are communicating. This got me interested because it reminded me of what it was like to have a dial up modem. 
where I had a, a Hayes Robotics modem. It had like the full like bank of I don't I can't remember like eight LEDs, and each one said the first one said is is the is it on the hook or off the hook? Uh, is it dialing? Uh, what speed is it on? Uh, transmitting data, ones receiving data, and yes, all of these things were labeled, but it didn't take very long of having this modem before. I wasn't looking at the, oh, look, here is a, here is a illuminated LED at the labeling this function. And this what this, that's what this means. No, I would look up and just by seeing the pattern, recognizing a pattern of lights and associating that with, yes, I have a, I have a good stable connection or, Ooh, it's, it's connecting very, very, uh, it's a, has a very, very slow connection. I wonder why that is to, okay, it's off the hook. It's not doing anything. And so if I were to build any one of these, I would probably go for movement because I could imagine all the different ways that it could communicate just patterns of things that just uh, that over time, over tra- training myself, I could figure out that um, uh, it, it's, it just feels like a way to communicate very, very complex information in a simple way. Again, not something that would necessarily tell me something directly, but say that, oh, the, here is the here is a rough status uh, that here, here's a rough status of something that you're interested in. And if you go to your phone right now, you'll be able to find out what that's going on in detail. Um, this is another interesting one, shadow. This is just an object that simply casts a shadow underneath it. And so the shape of the shadow, uh, the height of it, if it's breathing, sort of like going uh, larger and smaller, larger and smaller. Now, this is this is the one where I would love to see uh, this actual, I would love to see this actually made. I would love to see how people actually interact with this because um, the last one is, uh, for example, is tap. And this is what you imagine it. It is like a little tapper. It just goes, it's, it's a little arm uh, with a disc at the end of it. Then you might like put it in the video. They have you like putting it like in a cabinet or on a shelf and it could just simply like the arm, like will rotate go to stop when it's like a half an inch above like the surface of the shelf. And then just go tap, 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 tap. Or also just the position of that little flag one place or another. Now it's hard not to hear like a tapping sound, especially if a a tapping sound at the window, for instance, how, how do you notice a shadow? That's interesting. Like uh, how uh, a notification that is easy to miss. That's an interesting category of notification. You know, I would kind of, I would imagine that shadow would be interesting if uh, you have that on your desk and when you're having meetings, it's just a way to subtly communicate to you how much time has passed or it is now time to re- really, you need to end the meeting right now because you've got something coming up or something has happened that is, requires your immediate attention without having a, a, a rotating red light that tips off anybody who's in the meeting with you or anybody's in the room with you, that disaster has happened. Um, so yeah, it's. I like this idea a lot because the arc of the development of technology over the past 20, 30, 40 years has been to force technology to adapt, to change itself, to integrate with our lives and our lifestyles. If you think about what computers were originally like, like in the 70s and 80s, it was this one console that you had to, that was inside the house maybe even the office even had one where you had to bring yourself to this place. Uh, You had to adapt to learn how to use this computer very, very well. Sometimes by actually learning how to code because it didn't have, maybe at the time it didn't have a user interface. You had to write your own software Uh, where uh, the processing power was so weak 
that it 99% of its processing power had to be devoted to doing the thing you're asking it to do. Practically nothing could be attached towards just figuring out what you want to do. Whereas the, that flipped, uh, that, that flipped uh, starting with the Macintosh, where more and more of its processing power is being used just to figure out what you want to, to want, what you want it to do. You think about a, uh, a, a smart speaker, all the processing power is just about taking your voice and turning it into, Oh, figure out what the, what the, what the temperature is and announce it. Uh, it's the most natural interface that there is. Uh, I keep the, the most stark example of this, but I went to, uh, I studied computer science at uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and, uh, as a, as a charming idea, uh, and also a way to reuse space. There was a chapel in the middle of campus, beautiful, like 1920s, 1930s, like stone traditional chapel church space. And they decided when they put this uh, mainframe computer in, in the sixties or seventies that, okay, we'll basically turn this chapel into a computing center. And so imagine me in upstate New York <laughs> walking through the snow <laughs> in a, with a hood over my head, like a monk and my arms, like in a little, you know, making my way to this place of worship, to this holy computer that is unseen in the basement, making, <laughs> making, my, making my, uh, making my prayers in the form of, of source code and hoping to get a response that is positive and useful to me. And now can c- compare and contrast that to the watch, uh, watch on my wrist where its purpose is to simply, you know, it, it's, I wear it, it has to come to me. Uh, so now imagine the, this, uh, this, uh, little signals idea as the next evolution of that, where it's no longer even a screen. It's no longer even a speaker. It's just simply, again, something you put underneath the house plant and you notice that your windows are closed. You've got air conditioning, but somehow these window, these, these leaves are, are, are turning a little bit or that this, uh, or that, uh, <laughs> my, uh, I've got, uh, I would probably, I would probably adapt this so that like, I, I do have some action figures. I'm not one of these people have hundred of them, but I do have like a few that I really, really like. So if like Rumsleg is now like, uh, is now uh, like uh, uh, turned towards R2-D2 and away from Boba Fett, that means something. That means something that only I would even recognize or even understand the the meaning of. That sort of stuff I really, really like. I used to, I used to have something kind of similar to this, although it makes me sound kind of awful. Uh, I would have a colored bulb, uh, a lamp with a colored bulb in my window and uh, some Apple script code that would, if there was something bad had happened... <laughs> <laughs> like, like, uh, before, uh, this is before, uh, like, uh, uh, this is like being in the nineties before like uh, phone data, uh, mobile broadband, like something bad had happened. Like, Oh God, I've got three emails from my editor. Like I, I would just, as I'm walking up to my house, I would see this red lamp in the window and I'd say, maybe I want to turn around and like go get a soda at the diner for another hour. And I could still, I can still say that I wasn't home yet and that will work out just fine for me. Just again, these little ambient things that make life a little bit better. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to. I really think there is a, a difference in user interface between analog versus digital, tactile objects versus these glass surfaces that we are dealing with, physical indicators instead of pixels. Um, I this is this is a lot of different devices really really uh, for podcasters really really uh, appeal to me because finally I have toggle switches, I have knobs, I have lights that may, that mean something specific. 
because glass surfaces, uh, touchscreen surfaces, they're very, very useful. They're amazingly adaptable, but I can't rest my hand on it like I, I can rest my hand on my mouse like I'm doing right now. I'm hoping that this, this sort of research leads to the realization that we have not perfected computing yet. You know, we have not found the ultimate expression of computer being, hey, look, you got a screen, you've got a keyboard, you've got a trackpad. Now we're done. We don't have to keep thinking about it. Uh, and the fact we've made them mobile, we can carry them in our pockets. That's better. But now we really, we really don't need to think more about it. The best computer is the one that operate, understands what I want it to do, just simply lets me know that it's done it. And on the rare occasion that something bad has happened, finds a way to quietly let me know what it is so I can invest, investigate it on my own. So love the idea. I don't know if I, maybe I should try to print out one of these things because they, they at least look cool as objects. I don't know if I could get them really functioning or if they would actually be useful, but I, I, I keep them at my office. People would think, oh, he's, he's actually got that code running. He's, he's a superstar. Well, uh, when we come back from the, our final break, we're going to talk a little bit about music. Well, there was an article in Android Police this week that got me thinking about YouTube music for the first time since I stopped using it completely. Uh, it's it's uh, it not, not necessarily news. Uh, they just decided to, hey, they, it, it, they noticed that uh, and, uh, YouTube music had had a lot of updates, a lot of feature updates in 2022 and decided to call attention to them, uh, largely by the way of calling attention to a Google support document that kind of listed them chronologically. And it kind of got it's the the there's a problem when when a when the first version first iteration of an app or a service kind of throws you off. The problem is that you kind of forget that it's that's legitimate. Like I had no interest in continuing my my use of of a, a YouTube music, transferring my usage of Google Play Music and using it as a YouTube music anymore. I just the first iteration just really I had. Absolutely. It wasn't even that there was nothing attracting me to it. It was actually repulsing me. And you tend to forget. So that's legitimate. But sometimes you forget that this is just the first version. Uh, the years pass. They keep working on it and they keep adding stuff to it. And so I'm kind of grateful to this Android police piece that kind of got me looking at this again because uh, they have added a lot of a lot of features that I have that I would like to see in music players in general. Now, it, they seem to have addressed one of my biggest problems, which is that, look, I don't go to YouTube for music. I know that that's a very, very popular venue for, for listening to music, but it's not what I, it's not where I go to music for. So why do you want to, when I want to listen to a, a piece of music, why are you trying to show me a video instead? Uh, and also, secondarily, why are you trying to throw me to a radio station that contains that, uh, or a playlist that I didn't create that contains that piece of music? So they seem to have improved that. They've uh, Now there's an easier toggle between uh, song and videos in the web player. Uh, so that was already a feature of the uh, mobile app. But I do a lot of listening on the web, and so they've added that to that. They've uh, also uh, added uh, a change to a feature to quote single song queue unquote. So if I search for a song and I play that song, it will just play that song. It will no longer take you to a radio station that contains that song. That's very, very, very useful to me. And a couple of things that, uh, that I both approve of and really, really want one feature that I think that every single music service and music player should have. I don't know why they don't have them is uh, a save queue a feature that you can, if you've been queuing up music, you know, you're just going through, you don't have a playlist in mind, but you keep like 
bullseyeing like individual tracks and adding it to, Oh, I want to hear that next. Ooh, I want to hear that next. Ooh, I want to hear that next. And then you realize that accidentally you've put together like a pretty jamming playlist. You should be able to simply say, please save this as a new playlist. I don't know why every app doesn't do that. So they've added that, uh, now a little bit galling though. Uh, they've added these features to the Android and the iOS app, uh, in 2022, the iOS version hit in January. Why is the Android version only happening now? Is it that difficult to create, uh, to update an app that was, that will work on every single Android phone? Is that how difficult it is that even Google themselves are having that as a problem or is iOS just a bigger market? This isn't the first time that we've seen like in the Google search app, uh, in, uh, in a whole bunch of other apps where iOS gets a feature before the Android app. And that just doesn't seem quite right. I don't think, but maybe the most important change that they've made is simply entitled, quote, Improving Artist Diversity in Song and Playlist Radio, unquote. Uh, apparently, uh, with feedback from users that, that they've been saying that, look, there isn't, uh, when when I don't ask for specific songs, I just ask for, hey, play me some rock, play me some folk, play me some, uh, play me some pop music. We're, we weren't getting a diverse range of artists and with for all the different ways that the word diverse can be explained in this was in direct response to user feedback people who had left comments on support.com at support.google.com slash youtube music they do read these things they do action on these things and if you've never been to google support pages you can actually see which topics have been actually flagged by google as something we're working on and they will actually show you the project of it so they said that they improved the back-end logic that nominates the music that uh, shows up in them uh quote since making these changes we've noticed an increase in likes and song discovery from these playlists and our teams are eager to further better this experience for all of you down the road so a uh, this isn't this wasn't a, something on the google blog this was something that you'd have to go to support.google.com to read so you can so that that makes it a little bit more authentic in my eyes and it it does it does shed a light on a very important problem. I don't tend to uh, I'm not a fan of radio stations. I'm not a fan of like automated playlists of like this kind of show you, hey, here's some Easter weekend music jams or here's what the here's what the star of this latest uh, uh, YouTube series has put on their playlist. Uh, I tend to pick my own stuff or I'm searching for my own stuff and but uh there's something I found out in another story elsewhere just a couple of weeks ago where one of the biggest vectors uh, that's driving uh, streaming music is not people who go to say, I, I want to, I want to hear the latest uh, Foo Fighters album. It's uh, and, and going through their, their phones or their desktops. It is people simply asking a smart speaker, play me some music, play me some jazz, play me some, uh, uh, play me some high octane exercise music. And then the service chooses music for you. And th- that is a huge, huge vector for discovery and for uh, creating value uh, in these actual tracks. And as a result, Sony music and all these other distributors, they are creating, uh, they are intentionally trying to game the system by creating content and creating playlists that will be discovered by these smart speakers, but linked not to super, super famous artists, uh, for whom they have to pay, the service has to pay a lot of money, but pretty much unknown groups, maybe even ad hoc groups that were created to record, just go into a studio and spend three days recording six hours of high energy Zumba or uh, or, or cross training music uh, that they don't that Sony doesn't have to pay a whole lot of money in royalties for, and so that sounds kind of sickening when you have all these people who are putting their lifeblood into creating music and hoping that 
hoping against hope that they will beat the odds and actually make some kind of money by having it on Spotify or YouTube Music or Apple Music. Uh, and it, so it's so it's super important that when people don't ask for a specific song, there's a good chance that hardworking actual artists will actually get the credits, get actually actual the, the actual playback royalties for doing that, because uh, that seems like the system is starting to be stacked up against them. And particularly that if I don't specify that uh, this is this is a great opportunity for me to be introduced to cultures, people, backgrounds, rhythms that I have never heard before or didn't had heard before, but it never really landed in my subconscious before. So I, I'm very very happy that they've made this that they've made this change. Um, and it's it's I sh- I should give YouTube Music another chance. Um, and taking a look at this, there's there seems as though YouTube is YouTube music is actually being quite successful or in terms of what its goals, reasonable goals are, they are still way, 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 way down on the list of, uh, uh popularity on, on, in market share. Um, there are, according to, uh, Medea research, there are half a billion paid subscribers of music services. Spotify's number one by a long margin at 31%, Apple music, 15%, Amazon and Tencent, uh, are thirteen percent. YouTube Music is number four, way down there at number eight, uh, which would amount to about forty-one million paid subscribers. So it's not as though it's going to be taking over Spotify anytime soon, but they are growing. They are attracting more paid users. This, the growth, according to this research report, is up fifty percent year to year as of January. Um, we have to temp. We have to tamp down these expectations a little bit, though, because. Um, it's not as though all of these streaming services are being diligent and fresh with their reporting. Uh, this report from Media Research that really they specialize in media streaming and media uh, demographics. They uh, they made this report in November of last year. Unfortunately, the numbers that they had were only as of the second quarter of 2021. So it's valuable, but only up to 2021. And you have to remember that uh, middle of last year was when like. Uh, Amazon and uh, and Apple Music uh, started uh, uh, having a lossless and high definition music and not charging extra for it. So I think a lot of people that are attracted to that sort of stuff uh, are going to be making a move. So that I don't think that's going to be something that YouTube could have capitalized on. But it does mean that people are finding it and using it. So maybe I should check it out. Um, so, but I'm still not primarily a streaming user. I still. Uh, I still am the sort of person where I will discover something on streaming. I will become, I will fall in love with a piece of music on streaming. But at that point, when I'm falling in love with it, I want to make it, I want to give that piece of music, that album a forever home. So I will buy it either in higher definition audio or on CD, rip it and put it onto, onto my media server. So, um, but even for, with streaming, uh, I still pay, I, I, I tell myself that the reason why I pay for, Apple Music and I, as well as Spotify as oh well I have to keep on top of all these things, uh, but the weird thing is with both of these apps on my phone, there's been no clear winner. I like the interface of Spotify. I like the convenience of Spotify. I think it's by far the easiest way to move between multiple apps, multiple platforms, multiple systems, and have the same sort of experience. Uh, it is the it's going to be intrusive and trying to recommend things that I don't necessarily want, as opposed to presenting me with things that I've told it, please, please add this to my library or please uh, give me, give me stuff that I've told you that I like. Um, I'm going to Apple music for higher, higher quality music because Spotify still doesn't officially support lossless, still doesn't officially supply uh, 
do high definition, doesn't do spatial audio officially, as far as I know. So I'm keeping both of them uh, intact. Unfortunately, that's kind of a small nightmare and trying to figure out, Ooh, well, what did I, what, what, what service did I put that album on? Um, but still the, the, the core of my experience is still music, uh, music files. Um, uh, Plexamp is probably my primary app. Actually, it'd be a pot tie because I, I use uh, Plex on my media server as uh, my as my main server for all my media. So it's great that I have this little app that can automatically get access to uh, what is now 300 gigabytes of, uh, of music tracks. Uh, and I'm using it sort of I'm also trying to use it to sort of standardize all my playlists uh, and make sure here's the one truth of where all my all my playlists live and survive. Um However, I'm also interested. It's it's weird that uh, I've I've I don't think this is inefficient. I think this is just a weird choice of mine, where there are always going to be a list of individual albums that I just really really dig and that are on like the forefront of my awareness. A couple dozen, maybe three dozen albums, and for that reason, there are three dozen albums that are just files that are on in a music folder on my phone this is one of the reasons why I bought the pixel uh, six pro with 512 gigabytes of storage. So I could just put anything I want on this and not worry about it uh, and have a separate, a totally separate player standalone player has nothing to do with Spotify has nothing to do with Plex. It's just a music player that plays local on the device music because my brain goes that way where when I want to listen to when I only, when I want to be able to access anything that I love, I will go to Plex amp. When I want to listen to anything that's fresh and new that I've just discovered, I will go to Spotify. But when it comes to, I just want to listen to one of my favorite albums. I will launch an app like, uh, like rocket player, uh, and, uh, Oh, where did, there you go. Uh, Rocket Player, which is still my my favorite simple app. But uh, recently I've sort of switched to, uh, I, I've, I've recently got uh, got my first like high fidelity audio file, like mobile audio listening thing. I, I got a, 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 one of my employers gave me a very large gift card uh, for Christmas. And so I thought, you know what? I'm not going to spend it on anything practical. I'm going to spend it on something I would not buy for myself. So I bought uh, a $180 DAC USB digital audio converter, a high, high fidelity converter and a nice pair of like $300 headphones. And, uh, unfortunately things are not standardized for that. Uh, so there, I have to use an app called a USB audio player pro. There's also an app called high buy that I like, but these specific apps that are definitely not going to dumb down the quality of the music. And they will also work with recognize and work with this external USB, uh, digital audio converter. So I actually get the full, uh, the full protein of all these music tracks. Um, and so it's, it's weird that way. I try to keep it easy to use, but I have another app called drive sync that uh, that uh, syncs to a folder on uh, on my Google Drive. So anytime that I've decided to add uh, an album to these, these are one of my favorite albums. Anytime I really want to cry, I'll put the, I'll put this on. I want to be able to sure, make sure that I can have that good cry wherever I am. Anytime I have my phone, uh, there's a folder on my Google Drive that can will have this have these these albums on. And Plexamp is just a, gener- a generic. Uh, sync two folders between your phone and a stream and a cloud service feature. Uh, and so keeps, keeps these things in sync automatically and it works not, not terribly efficient, but it's, it says something that there is no one standalone great 
solution to listening to music. Maybe it's maybe it just says that music is always going to be it's it's an emotional transaction listening to music. And so you can't have one that will deliver the correct emotional experience for every single situation for every single user. I'll have uh, links to all that sort of stuff in the show notes, which Flo uh, will certainly put up uh, as she puts up this uh, this uh, uh, this episode. As uh, and she'll be back next week. Uh, boy, did I miss her! Uh, I know you missed her too, and I certainly did as well. But this was this was hopefully an interesting and worthy uh, episode, even though you only had me droning on listening to. It's always it's always kind of weird. Uh, uh, as I was preparing today's show. I uh, I have a really really good sense at this point of what amounts what kind of topics what kind of show doc will amount to one hour maybe an hour ten minutes of conversation between uh, Flo and myself and uh, when it's just me it's like oh I don't have enough I gotta have more oh I don't have enough I gotta have more oh I don't have enough I gotta have more uh, so I think I, I think I've actually <laughs> and of course uh, I I forget that I'm very very but <laughs> when there's when I don't have to be polite. And say there's there's a shot clock inside my head when I'm having a conversation with anybody, particularly on a podcast, saying, "Okay, remember that this is not your show. This is you and Flo's show. So say your thing, listen, listen as much as you are talking, and because and make sure and because the the listeners are going to enjoy the conversation, not your monologue, and then then whatever comes up, comes after it. Uh, but yeah, it turns but it turns out that yeah, I definitely had enough blather for. Uh, for a full show hope you hope you again enjoyed it and accepted it uh if you are missing your your necessary dose of florence ion by all means uh check out flow's gizmodo podcast gadgets uh, i have been listening to it very regularly uh and it's 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 really really great it's uh, flow has such a wonderful point of view on technology on the world on society on everything and it's as much as you enjoy it here here's another uh, excuse to enjoy it uh, on another show on another set of topics and i urge you absolutely to go uh, to go uh, to go see that um as for me you can see you can hear me on boston public radio uh D- boston's wgbh npr station D- wgbhnews.org to uh, listen to this week's show last week's show or any other show that comes in you can always tweet at us i'm at anatgo uh, flow is oh that flow there's we are collectively the material podcast and we will absolutely see it you can uh, become a support a supporter of the material podcast or uh, check out our show notes or leave us an email by going to relay.fm slash material well that's going to do it for me this week hope you had a great time i certainly did uh hope you listen to us again next week until then have a wonderful safe happy and healthy and contented seven days goodbye